Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on... Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everyone. It is January 28th, 2021. And I am, again, hosting on the Neil Garfield Show <clears throat> updating on the latest crazy quilt things happening in the world of securitized trust. I have some COVID-19 updates, and there is a seminar to uh, report that I will be uh, discussing as well. I'm also intending to have Bill Padalo on the show today, so I'm going to double-check if I can still uh, arrange that. I'm here, Charles. Can you hear me? Yes, Bill. Here we are. Perfect. I just had to coordinate uh, the technical issues, which sometimes do arise. Not that often, but they do come up from time to time. So those having been addressed, uh, I will tell the listeners that you, Bill, are going to have some really interesting intel on kind of a name manipulation uh, strategy that Chase Bank has going on. And I'm, I'm sure listeners realize that Chase Bank is kind of numero uno in the securitized trust world. Uh, I mean, U.S. Bank and their crazy quilled alphabet soup of Securitized trust is not too far behind. And then bringing up the rear of the big banks is Bank of America. And there are also a lot of Wells Fargo loans out there that were securitized. And there are a bunch more, which I'm sure the borrowers and listeners have some of the finer details on. Uh, so before, um, Bill, I get into your details on Chase. I will tell listeners that uh, Neil Garfield has developed an even more robust and uh, I, I would say interactive platform, an internet-ready platform, uh, uh, an internet-friendly um, platform 
uh, which he is describing and calling lending eyes. So it's a good play on words. And I will tell you that collectively, Neil Garfield, myself, Charles Marshall, and Bill Padalo as our investigator and forensic analyst, that we collectively do have a brain trust. I don't think that's an overblown term to describe our skill set, our knowledge set, our data set. And it is our intention now to more specifically and more programmatically share that brain trust with with the world, with the listeners. And the listeners are a whole panoply of people. Uh, Our real intention here with this seminar is to reach out to um, homeowners, of course, those in foreclosure, either on the judicial foreclosure front side or the non-judicial foreclosure front side, and also as well attorneys who are looking to or already uh, helping those uh, those listeners, helping those who are subject to litigation and who need to, to do litigation, frankly, to stay in their homes. I mean, this is, this is what this is about. I've often said that other than criminal law, this is the toughest area of law because you're dealing with the fundamentals of people's lives. You're dealing with where they live. And we take that as a trust, all three of us collectively, and we do everything we can to advance that purpose on behalf of the homeowners. Now, I will say about the seminar, I mean, it is going to be the first of a number of seminars. And the topics are all going to relate to the types of things we discuss on this show. Uh, We're going to break down strategies for both judicial and non-judicial foreclosure uh, mortgage holders, uh, those who have these purported notes, have these so-called securitized trusts, which are often in the real world and the legal world mere vapors. Nevertheless, uh, they do serve in the legal world without challenge as a basis for driving people out of their homes and destroying people's lives. And again, that's what Neil, that's what Bill, that's what myself, Charles, we are all tasked in our own respective realms and now collectively through this uh, wonderfully named, if I may say so myself, even though I didn't name it, it's Neil's baby, uh, lending eyes uh, organization. So you will be hearing more about that uh, as the uh, days and weeks and months move forward. I, I just thought it was important to let listeners know at this time that that is something that is coming together as we speak. And Neil, uh, myself, Bill, we will all be in touch about further details on this matter. So without further ado, uh, will be great, Bill, to have you talk about this latest chase nonsense, if you could fill in the listeners about that. Yeah, sure. No, I'd be happy to. Um, and it's not just uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But it's really kind of uh, 
an observation here from where I sit uh, as to the, the winds are changing here into, and we're going into uh, some real bizarro world. Um, the documents that I'm now starting to see come across my desk and that are being filed and recorded all over the United States, um, I'm not kidding you. It's getting real. It's it's beyond surreal. Um, I don't know what the cause of this is, if it's just lack of any type of oversight or um, uh, government uh, regulation, uh, law enforcement's not paying attention or whatever, but somebody has given the green light to start recording um, and filing documents that um, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it makes the robo-signing scandal look like uh, this was just a test run, okay? So what I really want to make the listeners aware of is some of the schemes and some of the things that are starting to occur to really keep an eye out for because the tricks here um, are really hard to see on first, second, even third glance on these documents, okay? And, And... what they've done for years and a lot of times is they, they play games with the names, as I like to say. Um, and then when you try to question it, uh, a lot of times if they get called or whatever, they'll say, well, that's just a scrivener's error, nothing to see here, don't pay attention. But this is really a pattern in practice, and this is very intentional. Okay, So I'm going to give a couple of examples. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank... Um, if you see that name, you have to remember that uh, they are a national banking organization, but their legal name as a national charter is J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, comma, National Association, or often referred to as J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, comma, N dot, A dot, okay? And, and I'm not being picky here when I'm saying you have to pay attention to every little detail in terms of the commas, the hyphens, the dots, everything that they're doing here. Because I got this interesting tip uh, recently uh, and people saying, have you seen the filings in the state of California with J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and what's going on with this, okay? And so I ran a, a simple preliminary check of the name J.P. Morgan Chase Bank with the Secretary of State in California. And Two entities pop up. Okay, you have J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A., the National Association, both under different IDs. All right, and what I what I know in my past in my research is that J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, just that named entity, used to exist years ago, and it went out of uh, circulation, went out of business, so to speak, or it stopped using that name as a state bank out of New York and I think it was roughly 2004, they had merged with Chase Manhattan Bank, and um, they operated for a while until uh, they ceased in about 2004. So that entity doesn't uh, technically exist or do business under that name. So why are they filing in California? Well, if you look at those filings, um, they talk about the, the merger with Chase Manhattan Bank, but they, and, and these documents, you know, Jamie Dimon's name and all the rest, they state that their primary, uh, the entity business, is that it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the bank. All right, now that's false because that entity is not listed anywhere as a subsidiary of J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. And um, and so this tip led me to uh, start digging. I wound up in Ohio, and I went into the Secretary of State in Ohio. And for any uh, sleuths out there that want to do any research or digging on this. Um, what I'm going to tell you here 
is, you know, I just started to tip the uh, scratch the surface, I should say, of some of these documents that I that I found. Um, when you go to the Secretary of State for Ohio and you type in J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, you're going to see a link that leads you to J.P. Morgan Chase Bank uh, uh, as a business trust uh, registers, and then when you click on that, it's going to lead you to all kinds of really bizarre filings. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I've delved in and did all the research and I'm going to make an opinion as to whether these documents are fraudulent or whatnot, but boy, I'll tell you, uh, it, they sure don't pass the smell test, okay? Because first and foremost, what you will see is that, and these, you have to kind of take it for face value. This is something recorded by the Secretary of State and, um, it, it, and you have to assume that uh, the parties, if they were, if this is a fraud scheme and this is a bold, brazen attempt to commit fraud, um, it somehow it's it still exists, and uh, more and more of these filings are, are piling up here. But what it says in there is that the name J.P. Morgan Chase Bank National Association, uh, well, Common National Association, is uh, being licensed, okay, um, to numerous parties. And that not only is it being licensed, but it's also being registered as a business trust name. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, with these licensing agreements and some of the things that you will see if you wanted to go in and do some of this research is that they are obviously involved in derivatives and tradings um, uh, from the Federal Reserve notes. And they are uh, using that name, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, comma, National Association, as both the name of a trust and both as a trustee name beyond just that of a national banking organization. So that would appear very deceptive. Um, but as a warning to people, when you see a document out there, if you're being sued or pursued or anything by the name J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A., you cannot necessarily now assume that you're dealing with the banking entity, because there are, by these filings, dozens of people who have um, got, who have, have licensing agreements, it appears, to proceed and use that name in commerce for whatever these um, uh, dealings are. So that's that's a huge red flag right there. And what you'll see in these filings as well is that they're using J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, comma, National Association, and they're saying we have a different international bank called J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, hyphen, National Association, tied to an international monetary fund and tied to a uh, international trust fund for the collection of debts. Okay, this stuff gets really bizarre. But I would encourage anybody, if you have a, uh, any interest whatsoever, uh, to certainly go in and start peeling back and looking at this stuff for yourself because it's, it's uh, as, as an old cop phrase I used to use, it's hinky. It's very, very hinky stuff. All right. Now, part of these bizarre documents um, that – that are coming out. Um, they're not just in Ohio, okay? This is stuff that I'm starting to see now regularly is that the, uh, we're seeing, I'm seeing documents that have fake attorney bar numbers, fake names altogether, names that can't be traced, bad addresses. Um, this stuff is getting so bad and so sloppy, okay? 
that you, it goes beyond just you know really studying who owns the the notes and the deeds and the chain of title. It's it's like processing a crime scene now. Okay, that you have to look at uh, these documents extremely uh, with a, with a uh, you know with a trained eye because uh, I think I mentioned on one of our past shows, Charles, that. I also, in some of the litigation support services that I'm doing, I'm reviewing uh, documents that come back on production through either subpoenas or uh, discovery or whatnot. And um, I'm seeing alterations, alterations of emails. I'm seeing alterations of service or screenshots. Um, They're resorting to these types of tactics of tampering with evidence or whatnot uh, because we're now able to really understand what's going on and the fact that these parties and neil has been blogging about this there are no trusts okay these are fake labels and when you push to see the receipts on the books and records of any debt that was purchases for value it flat out doesn't exist and so now when you get real um uh, you sharpen that pencil and you and you really go after them on these issues in discovery or whatnot they're resorting to um, really bizarre and extreme tactics here in their document production. So uh, one little hint here, uh, I just got some feedback yesterday, actually, of a deposition that occurred in a case where the judge in the jurisdiction was listening to what we were saying, that the party on the other side seeking the foreclosure could not provide any evidence that they own the debt, that they paid value, that they have it on their books and records and control a receipt. So the court ordered, uh, was listening, and ordered the the opposition to produce those documents. Of course, they haven't produced. And now in a deposition, the uh, and I won't name the servicer, but it's a well-known servicer, their top guy shows up, and he must have pounded his fist, it sounds like, four-plus times yesterday saying, look, it doesn't matter who owns the debt. It doesn't matter as long as we have a note. Okay, that's his position. So, in other words, if you want to interpret that, he's saying it doesn't matter who we show owns the debt as long as we have evidence of a debt, right? The note being evidence. They don't have anything beyond that. So, we know that. Now, we are very aware of the tactics and strategies that are going on. And that's why in these seminars and the way that these things are going to be defended moving forward, it's not going to be, uh, you know, what we've been doing straight out for the last 10 years. It's evolving into um, a very unique uh, set of, of uh, strategies to, to start defending this stuff. So my um, – uh, I guess my big, my big thing to take away from this show and what I'm saying here tonight is um, be very careful of making presumptions. Be very careful of looking at these documents, thinking that you can <clears throat> identify exactly who's who, um, because everything has to be challenged and questioned and, exa- and examined um, because there are uh, there is evidence to show um, a lot of bad actors behind here. Now, I did want to also say that I think an important tool here uh, could be uh, a law that was passed here in the defense bill recently. um, It's called the um, Corporate Transparency Act. And it was really an interesting passage because uh, the, the the bill was vetoed by the president, but somehow it was overruled uh, by the, the Senate and the uh, um, Congress. 
and it was passed. And really what this means is it's, it's going to be a wrench for all of these straw entities or these shell companies that, have, that we've been seeing for years with these trusts. For example, that you can't find or trace who they are. They just file in Delaware for a $90 fee and name an agent and off they go. Well, this Corporate Transparency Act, I think, is going to be a very useful tool for everyone, including myself, to say, listen, when I investigate these cases and I get to a point where I hit the wall and I can't verify some of these parties or I'm seeing some of this suspicious behavior that I'm discussing, I can at least bring it to the court's attention that under the Corporate Transparency Act, uh, you know, we're entitled to know now who the, who's behind the curtain, who filed these documents, who is actually behind it, and so on and so forth. So I'm hoping that um, that's going to be a useful tool uh, to help us get past some of these hurdles. But um, it's going to be it's it's going to be a very interesting ride coming up. I can see that for sure. Um, and I also wanted to uh, just do one house- housekeeping uh, uh, comment here, Charles, is that um, for those who have been listening to our past shows talking about the WAMU Chase FDIC issues, I I did post. Uh, a story today. It's sort of a follow-up to what we've talked about in past shows at bpinvestigativeagency.com today that does show for the first time some of what I was talking about that is now public information regarding um, the subpoena response coming back from the FDIC. And so you will see uh, an actual copy of the screenshot that they produced from their servicing records. And um, so if anybody's been following that or interested, uh, uh, please go and see that. You'll find that as a follow-up tool. Charles? Um, I mean, as always, Bill, that's that's really good analysis. Uh, I think the one thing we can count on uh, from Chase, U.S. Bank, again, all the uh, securitized players out there in these mortgages, whether they're uh, the main players or not, uh, they are resourceful. They are determined to continue to get away with their fraud, and I use that term colloquially and derivatively, not legally, and I will give my disclaimer, which is in the beginning and the end of the show, regardless of whether I actually air it during my own uh, time, during my own presentation, and that is when when I use words like fraud, I'm not using them in a legal sense. I'm using them in a very generic, off-the-cuff sense, and this is an informational program. So uh, when people look into the fraud that I'm talking about, uh, they do need to consult with a legal professional. And then after such consultation and after gathering further documents and and evidence and, and information of various kinds, people can decide for themselves whether they consider what is going on with all this name changing uh, shenanigans as I call it is indeed fraud. Uh, so one thing I'd also like to discuss uh, with the time we have left, uh, I am going to be reaching out, uh, you know, Neil and, and Bill will be as well. It's going to be uh, kind of a sub part of our upcoming seminars. Uh, I think, most of us are aware, even all of us uh, at some level, that, you know, obviously big institutions control a lot in this country. And I think everybody's seen in the last year that never has that been more true than now. I mean, the consolidation of power in the last year 
up the food chain to the big banks, to big government, to big pharma, uh, to big everybody. It's 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 breathtaking. It's it's shocking historically, but it's it's all here. Whatever your politics are, whatever your party, it's all happening real time right now. It's going to create all kinds of dislocations for a lot of people, and one of the notable dislocations is while just like the big banks control so much of the financial assets and even the financial accounts of uh, of financial account people all over the country, the tens and hundreds of millions who have bank accounts of various kinds, just as they dominate that sector, like they dominate money sectors, period, uh, there are a lot of big landlords out there. I come up against them very routinely uh, in my uh, California unlawful detainer practice. And uh, I do handle cases where those who formerly own their homes and no longer do own their homes because of foreclosure, uh, they go into an unlawful detainer status. That's where they're sued after the foreclosure to evict them from their homes. So one thing I've noticed is that there are quite a few people out there, I'm sure it's not just California, who are good people, who are not big landlords. Uh, I don't really have a, a name per se to kind of accurately describe the status of these people, but small landlords is kind of a back of the envelope way of describing them. And as much as my purpose, my calling, all of my intention goes into helping homeowners uh, fight off this behemoth of trust, uh, securitized trust institutions, as much as all of that goes, goes um, from my entire framework to protect those people, there are a lot of small landlords who also happen to be homeowners, and they often get into trouble with their own homes because they get behind on their rent if their borrowers don't pay. There are a lot of these people out there now, uh, and I am reading that uh, before I sign off, which is very shortly. So we are going to be discussing that in a future show. We know you're out there, small landlords. You've been greatly impacted by the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction situation. And uh, our our team, Neil, Bill, and I are going to uh, coordinate to help you. Uh, so with that, uh, I need to go, and Neil will be back next week. And thank you, Bill. Thanks, Charles. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.